0: Together, we're having candid conversations that help you understand the challenges that a product manager faces, how they overcome them, and the tools and frameworks that will help you thrive in the role. So let's start the show. Welcome, everybody. My name is Jeff Shulman, and I am a marketing professor at the University of Washington's Foster School of Business, where I'm the founding director of the Product Management Center. And the Product Management Center was built with co-host Red, who's uh, here every week. Uh, he was on the founding advisory board along with several other product managers who want to build a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact, and to help make a more diverse product management community and help everybody in product management do better at their jobs by connecting them with people, knowledge, and resources that could help them succeed. And Sumeya, who's here every week on uh, how to succeed in product management, she's on the advisory board now helping us take it to new heights. Perul is on the founding advisory board. Uh, She and her colleagues at the Women in Product set up a very special episode today. So today we're focused, we have a very special collaboration with the Women in Product, And it's a fantastic organization, not just for women, but for anybody who wants to see women succeed in product, which should be all of you. And so we've teamed up today to talk about adapting to change as a PM. And before we get into that conversation, Sumeya, her superpower is helping not just aspiring PMs, but everybody, no matter how long you've been in product management, help you understand the importance of today's conversation. So Sumeya, can you tell me a little bit about yourself And then you've got two things you've got to do. One, explain why a Women in Product special episode is important. And two, explain why adapting to change as a PM is an important topic.
1: Absolutely. Thanks, Jeff. And welcome, everyone. I'm Sumeya Binganem. I'm a products management leader. Currently, I'm at VMware, building B2B products mostly. And I have been a product manager for a while, almost 20 years. So happy to talk about this topic and others. Women in Product is an awesome organization. Like you said, Jeff, so happy about this collaboration with them. I've been a member for some time. They host event throughout the month. Uh, They have different chapters throughout the country. So highly recommend it as an affinity organization, as an organization where you can find mentors and people to learn from. And I'm so happy that they are part of this product management ecosystem that we're all part of. The reason this topic of change is so important and, and adaptability and flexibility is so important to product managers is because not only do we have to be able to accommodate change ourselves. So it's not just about that intrinsic place or the self-awareness and self-work you have to do around adopting to change. But there are two other pieces of it you also have to learn and to do more of over time. One is your ability to build for change. So your product, the outcomes that you're working on, they need to be able to address change as it happens, and change is a guaranteed thing. It's not a matter of if it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when, especially if you have an externally facing product. And the second one is because you need to lead and influence your team, the people you're working with, even when there is a lot of change. We're not talking about just change at the scale of A pandemic, which we all faced over the past two years. We're talking about everything from something changing within the market to your team losing an engineer who was really important to the success of the product to a client canceling a contract. Change shows up in different ways, some more traumatic in some ways than others. And so I think this topic is so important, talking about it not just from action and what do you do but also from a mindset perspective. So thanks for bringing up this topic. Back to you, Jeff.
0: All right. Thank you, Sumea. Pleasure to have you here as always. And now I want to turn it to a founding advisory board member for the Product Management Center at the University of Washington, Perul, who is a director of product at Compass. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your role with Women in Product?
2: Thanks, Jeff.
3: Yes, I sure can. I am Parul Shuri. I'm the director of product at Compass. I've been at Compass for about seven months. I've been in product for about 12 years, and I was an engineer before that, finding my way into what I enjoy most and realizing that it was product. When I was at eBay in around 2016, me and another eBay coworker, Learned about the Women in Product group that had just formed in the Bay Area. More to just women product leaders together and form a community. And found out that there is a potential to kind of expand it. And we brought the first Women in Product event to Seattle when we were at eBay hosting a big panel there. And that was the kickoff for our Seattle chapter, which since then, in the last four and a half, five years, we've done so many events on a monthly basis in person before covid we would have events hosted at the top companies in and around Seattle that We would bring in people from different diverse backgrounds in product, uh, leading roles in startups, in big companies, coming and talking to the women leaders who we'd bring together to bring that community together and collaborate so we don't feel isolated in our journeys in product.
0: All right. Thank you, Pearl, for being here. And thank you again for being on the founding advisory board for the Product Management Center and setting up a collaboration here between the University of Washington and the Women in Product. I want to turn to Rekha, who's a, a member of Women in Product, and I'm going to change your prompt here. And I want you to, since we're talking about adapting to change, after you tell us a little bit about your journey as a PM, can you tell us one type or a couple types of change that a product manager may encounter?
2: Sure. Thank you. I hope you can hear me okay. So um, my name is Rekha Raghu. I'm a Senior Director of Product at Smartsheet, and it's a collaborative work management software. And I've been in Smartsheet for about the past three years. Prior to that, I've been in I have been uh, have over 20 years of experience and uh, started my career again, same like Parul as an engineer, and then uh, moved into product management. I just sincerely apologize for my voice. I had an acute mountain sickness this weekend, so I'm still recovering from it. So <laughs> normally I don't sound like this. <laughs> just wanted to apologize for that so yeah product journey per se like adapting to changes examples right i mean oftentimes as a product manager right i would say for anybody for that matter like the only thing that is constant in anyone's life is change right that is really true about product too right there will be new competition that is coming into the market maybe the customer needs are different economy changes pandemic hit for us right or there are new people coming in new people leaving. Company scaling from being a small startup to a larger scale organization. So as a PM, if you truly want to survive, and also as a company, if you want to survive, you really need to adapt, right? So so there are different types of things, I believe, like as a PM that could happen, like I just said, like competitive changes. You could be part of an organization that could potentially get bought by another company, or you could potentially be deprecated because your company, uh, the competition absorbed you, right? So anything, right? Anything could happen, right? But in my past experience, yeah, I've had several of those scenarios. I worked for a company that was one, the first one I would say for me is really switching from a larger organization like Intel and then moving into a startup environment. About 10 years ago, I joined a really small startup about, I would say about 10 people. A year later, they shut down that company, right? So I had to go look for a job. And then I moved on since then and I've worked at different spaces. Enterprise is another change to con- consumer. That's another change. And then I worked for an offer, also prior to Smartsheet, where I was a 38th employee, and then the company grew to 200. And same in Smartsheet, I joined about, I would say about 200 or 300 per employee. now we are at 2,000, right? So as a PM, you want to be adapting to all the changes, and um, it's not just driving the product strategy and roadmap, but it's also as part of your own daily duty that you also need to manage change, I would say. Back to you, Jeff.
0: Red, we're talking about changes and how PMs adapt to change. Can you tell them how they can get involved in today's conversation and tell them what that red circle up there is? Absolutely. Well, if you're someone who's
4: interested in WIP or in general in getting involved in the product community, we record this so that in case you can't stay the whole time or for your friends who couldn't make it, you could spread it around. All you have to do is just look up and Google how to succeed in product management podcast. And I think we're almost up to episode 11 now that should be published in the next couple of weeks. But one other way to get involved that is extra special, and I'm super excited to say this. Over the last couple months, we've been building up a Slack community, and as of today, we have surpassed 600 members of the Slack community in product. This is not a member community where you're getting spammed by recruiters or you're getting sold to by salespeople. No, this is a hardcore, agnostic, real product management community built up and supported by not just University of Washington, but product managers everywhere. So if you're interested in this, please DM me. I'm so easy to get a hold of. Just find me on Twitter, or LinkedIn, or the internet. Just get a hold of me, and I will send you an invite to this Slack channel. And later on, we're going to have some Q&A. So if you have a question in your camera or mic shy, I'll ask the question for you. But in general, we're here to support the product community, and it's super exciting that we hit this milestone, Jeff. So between the podcast and the Slack and what we're doing today, every Tuesday at 4, you can count on us to be here for you, the product manager. So with that in mind, excited for this episode and you know, sending it back to you.
3: Can I give a quick plug for Women in Product and how to get involved with that as well since Red just did such a good intro? Would that be okay, Jeff?
0: If you could hear me, I'm saying yes.
3: <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, so if you want getting involved in Women in Product is pretty easy. We are a very active Facebook group. Just search for women in product and you will find it. There's also a LinkedIn group. If you're in Seattle or whichever city you might be in, there are local chapters. So, for example, we have a Seattle women in product group, which actually coordinate meetups, more casual meetups, which are not panels, but more of brunch meetups and breakfast meetups with like-minded women in product, which are more casual. So feel free to jump on there and find us and uh, get involved.
0: All right, so lots of ways for you to get involved with the product management community through the Product Management Center or through Women in Product, and we're going to get you involved in the product management community right now where you could come up on stage and share your opinions on uh, adapting to change. But I want to get deeper into it. Sumaya, can you maybe take a moment to just broadly give like four bullet points of the types of change that people see? I know Rekha gave us some great examples. I'm just wondering if we could help new and aspiring PMs kind of just forecast you know what kind of broad types of change might they face? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I think about change in few broad categories. I think about internal change. I think about customer change. I think about market change. And then the rest of the changes are more around the product in one way or another. So either it's like the channel your product is on or the expectations, you know, based on your competitive landscape, which also comes up in the market. But also within the market part is a regulatory aspect. So there are changes you have no control over at all. (laughs) And you just need to be able to respond to. And then there are changes that you can plan for, you can manage to limit the risk from. And those are, in general, the categories I think about.
0: All right. Thank you, Samaya. And then Perul, you had one that you wanted to talk to in particular where, you know, you've got everything lined up, you've got your roadmap, you've got your plan and the CEO or upper management uh, wants to change strategy or direction. When that happens, what do you do? Do you go with what leadership is wanting or is there some other options that you could adapt to that kind of change?
3: Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. That actually was a scenario from what I just went through in the last six, seven months. And I feel like with change, necessary underlying attitude needs to be optimism and expecting that things happen for a reason and happen for the best. Because with that attitude, you can start looking for silver linings. You can start looking for ways to make the best of change. And you can truly go into that, you know, we call it growth mindset. But in terms of what am I learning from this? How is that like, what would I have not done or done differently if I had just stayed on track? So The specific example was actually uh, beginning of this year, I had joined a new company and annual planning had already been done. We'd figured out the roadmap for the year at a high level. I was coming in at a time where this was mostly figured out by my predecessor, but I was reassessing that and actually putting that into play. And about a month into it, also wanted to call out that most of my team was new, so everybody was learning together. But a month into it, we heard that a director from the CEO was there was this one area specifically that we really needed to focus in now because he had heard from a few big agent teams that this was something that was one of the biggest churn threats, as in agents would leave in within if we didn't have this already or in the near future, just because they needed that capability in order to be able to function as a team and as a business. So the initial few things that you do with change is ask why and really get clarity around what it is that instigating the change. If you can understand the deeper, and this means not just the high level, of like, yeah, we heard it from the agent. Well, okay. But why is this important? How many agents? What is the actual problem that the agents were trying to solve? Rather than starting with, oh, we go, need to go build this. So really pushing back to get clarity and then validating that clarity. And by that, I mean, go back to those agents, go back to more agents and more customers to really flesh out what it is that they've envisioned and what is it that you've envisioned and what are the gaps. So in my case, for example, we were trying to build out, the focus was, I'm going to give you a specific example, we needed to build in team collaboration functionality for our our platform. While that was one of the things on our roadmap for this year, it was not the only thing. But in order for us to be able to complete everything that we want to do in team collaboration, we would have to deprioritize everything else and go all hands on deck to get this out as soon as possible. So the first thing we did was we did a roadshow. And this was us fleshing out in our mind, like, here is what we think team collaboration looks to us. What does team collaboration look to you, customer? What are you trying to accomplish? Do these outcome-based scenarios that we think team collaboration looks like resonate with what you do? And will they give them what they need? We, as in the chief strategy officer of the company and a few of us leaders, started doing these with the top teams. And when I say top teams, it's because they're individual customers who use this in isolation. And there are people who use this product with four or five or 20 or 30 team members. So it's those team members that we started meeting and getting input on. We also had quantitative data because we knew what percentage of our business comes from these teams. What is our total addressable market? How much of a problem is in volume is it going to solve? So At a high level, we did a lot of quantitative and qualitative analysis after we had got this directive to really flesh out, is this right? Is this the right thing? Because the worst thing you can do is take a directive and go build it and then find out later that this was not what the customer needed. So about four weeks into these roadshow sessions, we'd actually narrowed it down to some very key scenarios that are indeed critical, that are indeed a big risk if we do not prioritize. And so... And when I say we, it means we work in triads. So we have our engineering leaders, we have a product leaders, we have a design leaders. All of us triad leaders agreed with the conclusion that we need to deprioritize some things to bring out um something sooner. So the way to go about that, the next piece was making that change be palatable by the team, because that is the big thing. There is change brings in emotional responses, logical responses, and you know, just overall psychological responses. And you need to address each one of them if you actually want alignment and want everyone to believe in it. And that was a whole different chapter in terms of how to go about getting done. But I'll pause on that so to let Reka go
0: on this. All right. Before I turn to Reka, I wanna give everybody a chance. If you loved what you heard from Perul but wanted to kind of distill those takeaways, we've got a volunteer, two volunteers, Sarah Gallo and Sophie Gong, who are generously posting some key takeaways in the Product Management Center Slack channel, and then they'll post them on LinkedIn. Uh, so a big shout out to Sophie Gong and uh, Sarah Gallo, who are gonna be uh, giving live thoughts and, and, and key takeaways from our speakers. And another speaker who's gonna have some valuable uh, takeaways that will keep our volunteers furiously typing on the keyboard. Uh, Reka, do you have any, some general tips that you have to PMs as they adapt to change, whether it's from change in leadership, change in product landscape, any general thoughts on how somebody should a- adapt to change?
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, Parul really covered it really well, I would say. But it's really, change is all about, in my opinion, right, like, Adapting to change or anything for that matter is really ability to communicate that right. Like as a product manager, you need to be able to tell a story, and then how do you tell the story? And uh, eventually, it's what is going to help drive the clarity? So, like Parul was talking about it, right? Like, I mean, yeah, there is change in the whole product direction. Then, how do you really understand that change? Why are we? Uh, why is that being requested, right? What are the alternative to the changes that is being proposed? What are some of the cost of not changing? Who is going to get impacted? Is it customers within customers or someone within the organization? Or how are they going to be impacted? I would say, like, really put down, write these thoughts together, like some sort of a communication plan of some sort of a narrative that could just, just be more from your perspective to understand what this change is going to be. Uh, if you are not clear, right, then you will not be able to communicate clearly to either to get convinced yourselves or to convince the rest of the team, right? That's kind of how I think about it, really, like clearly telling the story in a manner that is super easy and clear. There are different ways of doing it, right? Like, and you can potentially write like the typical press release type format that Amazon has, or it could also be a product requirement. It doesn't have to be anything, this simple one pager or even some simple designs. Put it all together in a story that can really tell the story of this change that you want to go implement.
0: Uh, sumaya do you have anything to add? Uh, we got a, a great specific example from Parul, some general guidance from Rekha. Anything to add to how PMs should adapt to the various changes they may f-
1: yeah, absolutely. I have a couple of points. The first one is, one, very little change is change that's done to us. And I'm very specific in the words I'm using here. Usually change that's that's imposed on us is through circumstances that are so much bigger than us, including regulatory ones. And then when you start talking about the need to change because of this specific circumstance, then yes, you, you don't necessarily have a lot of agency, I, I guess. But when you decide on taking action because of this external change, that sense of ownership and leadership is so important. I'm talking about this specific exception because the majority of the time, the change that you are leading as a PM is one that you have a lot of leadership in and ownership in. And so I love Recca's point about asking the questions that get you from mindset perspective to a place where you feel like this is the change you're leading everyone towards rather than feeling in this place of it's being done to me. And, oh, let's just do this thing, guys. I don't know why. It's not up to us. Leadership said do it. I am super sensitive about language that PMs use around that stuff, where they give away their power and their agency when they shouldn't. And so from a mindset perspective, get yourself to that place where you need to be to know why you're responding to a change, the way you are responding to it, or you need to respond to it, and to a place where you take action in a decisive way or in just with a little more certainty. So that's one. The second one is around the point that Parul brought up around the growth mindset. And I know that's a phrase that's thrown around a lot, but it is extremely important. Basically recognizing your ability or any of your abilities, whether their communication abilities or execution ones are not fixed and that your effort essentially will influence your potential as a PM and your team's potential. So adopting that mindset is something that you should be completely aware of and executing on. Last but not least, I personally went through an MA activity. So the company I was working for, Pivotal, was acquired by VMware. And that's one where we had a lot of change, not only in our products and outcomes, but in the culture of the company. And so I never underestimate the mindset piece because to some extent, once you get the mindsets part figured out, all of us who have been PMs for some time, even if it's like a year, we know what to do next. And if we don't, this is where your mentors, your colleagues, your peers can be so important for you. So that's really what my last point is about is as you're going through change, make sure to use your network and the people you know to help you through it. It is not an easy thing to do necessarily alone, especially when it's major changes.
0: Rekha or Parul, anything to add to what the other panelists have said?
3: Just a quick, uh, slightly, uh, with a slightly humorous tone note to add. No one succeeded in product interviews by telling stories about the simplest, easiest, smoothest product they've worked on the more stories you want to create the more opportunities you should look at change as awesome this is how i'm going to talk about how i have encountered this overcome this thought about this change is really an opportunity and gives us the arsenal to prove how awesome we are
0: that's all i have to say <laughs> i love that and now i want to turn to Reka with a question here you said storytelling is critical, and Sumaya said that the change isn't done to us. You know, we, we could really navigate the change and, and influence it. We've talked about it in pretty much every episode it, it comes up. I'd like to just uh, solidify it one more time here. You know, what are the North Stars that should be in that story and that should be in your heart as you're deciding how to react to changes big and small? What do you use as a product manager? What do you use as the North Stars to really help tell the story and guide how you react?
2: Sure, sure, definitely. So I think, uh, as I mentioned, right, like you tell a story, tell it as a narrative, right? Like it's really more whether it is a change management that you're managing or whether it is your product capability that you're trying to articulate, right? The key is really telling the story that is going to be super clear, right? I mean, we as humans love telling stories. We love making making it dramatic, right? So I, I think I would say something like have a mission. What's the vision or the mission that you want to go drive? What's the, the like you said, what's the north star for this particular feature or capability or trying to do it? Maybe even write it in form of a goal, like an OKR, right? And then pick a hero, right? What's the success story going to look like? That is the product really, like are the customer, right? What are customers going to want in this scenario? Like customers typically are sophisticated and they can easily get bored, right? Like you want to keep them engaged. So you as a product manager, your goal is really to constantly innovate uh, and disrupt your product so that you can not only add incremental value but it's also a matter of survival right so you want to what you call the product or the capability you're trying to deliver is really to somewhat the hero in this case and then on the other side you could pick a villain right what is the reason for the change is it competition is it change in demand is it customer needs is it your sales right like say it in a manner like when what I mean by that is like really more as a motivational factor not necessarily in a negative manner right so it's more a factor how is the hero going to now solve their villain problem right so that's kind Know I would say, like like I said, it's more making this more dramatic than normally, but that's kind of how I think about it. And really then in the storytelling process, then you start to think about like, how do you really like, in general, right? Like as humans, we do not like change, right? So we often... Are hardwired in our brains to resist change, right? So, in my opinion, to to bring a change, you must create a burning need. I'll give you an example, right? Like, I'm, I just I was telling these people, right? Like, I attempted Mount Rainier several times, but I'll never give up, right? I mean, one time I got injury, one time I got acute mountain sickness. But my point is, I'll always change something every time I try to do something. Like every time I learn from that experience and change, right? So to win this, I need to make a change in myself, or it, it could be my diet, it could be my behavior, it could be my so fitness level, or or anything right, like end of the day, I need to change to win this particular villain, right, so it's really more a matter of like understanding in this particular case what are the problems. Or the challenges that are going to be facing by launching this product and addressing those fears and finally what are the benefits then you want to also discuss things about what are the kpis right how are you going to measure success so that you have an accountability and then end of this there is always the cast members like who are the decision makers who are the influencers so basically really like tying all of this and back up your story with motivation and have numbers and data to back it up right so oftentimes numbers are harder to argue than the words so once you have that then you tie it all together like i said in some sort of a press release or PRD or any type of PowerPoint, whatever works for you in your company. We use an Amazon model like a press or PRFAQ. We write the press release where we actually describe what the press is, like what, what are we launching, what's the customer problem you're trying to solve, and then what are the benefits, what are the capabilities we're launching, and then we tell it more with the customer, fictitious customer-like story. Right. So you tell that in a manner that then helps really to alleviate the concerns in terms of introducing that change within the organization.
0: All right, that was excellent. And so, Red is the co host, and he runs the stage and manages bringing people up and letting your voice be heard. But, Red, I'm sorry, I got to put you on hold for just one more minute. This is normally your time to shine. I just have one follow up question that I'm burning to ask uh, Sumaya or Parul. Rekha said the North Star is your vision, and you know, you have a hero and you have a villain. And how do you know when it's time to change your North Star? So how do you know when it's time to change your vision, when it's time to change who you're trying to solve the problem for, or when it's time to change what that villain, what that problem is?
3: I can go really quick, really short, and then I'm, you can tell me if you want me to go deeper. But I think in this lovely paradigm that Reka has weaved, which I really like, it's usually one of those three often changing that need you to then pivot and change the other pieces, As an example, the villain could be, COVID just happened, that's the villain. We had a certain vision, we were on a track to do something, but we got to adapt because of this. The vision as a result may or may not change. Usually it's the outcomes that you want, making sure that those outcomes and the KPIs that Rekha mentioned, those KPIs should be constant. If I want customer retention, if I want to reduce churn, if I want more adoption, what are the other things I could set? Like, if those were my goals. How do I change my vision as a result of this villain? It could be that the hero changes too, just because of your change in vision. But often it's one of those triggers that act as a catalyst to changing things. And as a simple example, when I was at OfferUp, when COVID happened, we are already on the path of reassessing our vision because the goals of the company had changed, and the will in there, in terms of what were the triggers for the goals of the company, was the fact that we had been a startup for a while and we had gotten rounds of fundings and we wanted to start changing towards monetization, which changed our vision. But then COVID happened, and all of a sudden, the vision that we had it just happened to be very well aligned with switching to much more online retail and online um, commerce, which aligned with the vision that we are going towards. So it more of it didn't change our vision. It just further supported it. And the things that we did to achieve that vision, we tweaked those. So I feel like, in general, it's uh, one of those elements changing that cause the other ones to change. I'll uh, let Samia go next.
1: Yeah, I thought about this question in a slightly different way. It smelled like that old question of when to pivot and when to persevere. And fundamentally, I always think about two elements. One, the vision of the company or the product into the KPIs. So your metrics are going to tell you whether you're moving towards that vision and if you're progressing in in the way you want to. And if you're not, then that also tells you that it's probably time to change direction or change tactics or change products. The example that comes to mind is the startup called Kabam, they did multiple pivots over 10 years, three different pivots. Uh, they started as a social network company. Then they became a sports company, then became a gaming company. And throughout that whole period, they did all the right things of trying to understand who their customer is, what problem they were trying to solve, all the things that we product managers pay attention to. And yet the reason they moved and they kept pivoting is that with each one of these hypotheses or the products they built, they found that they were not reaching their goals or where they wanted to be. Specifically for them, the question of, is the market large enough or are there enough users in that market to make us a viable business? And after a few iterations, the answer is no. And so that's why they kept pivoting. So just find, at least for me, I I think this North Star metric or the KPIs that matter, this is why choosing the right ones is so important is because they can tell that story. So you take the facts plus the context and then you're able to tell the truth of your story and determine whether you need to pivot or persevere here
0: all right thank you Sumea. you are right it sounds exactly like an age-old problem of when to pivot and when to stay the course we all struggle with it uh, great insight and now we are not staying the course we are going to pivot to a plan, (laughs) the course that we planned, but not the course we've been on for the last 40 minutes. Red, you've been waiting patiently to shine. Actually, you don't care about shining. You really care about shining a light on the product managers in the audience who have questions or comments to add to the conversation. Uh, But it is your time in the sun. Uh, Take it away, tell them how they can get involved.
4: Absolutely, and you're right. I really don't wanna be the one talking here. I have a lot of folks out there who have questions. So here's how it's gonna go. If you see on your screen, There's a little hand raise icon at the bottom of your screen. Just click on that and that'll give you a chance to come up on stage. But there are a couple of rules. One, you have to have a profile photo. Come on. I don't want to have to remind you like we're humans here. The second thing is if your profile says nothing about business or product, for example, let's say you're an esthetician or a dentist. Appreciate that you're here and learning about products in the future of it. But if you're not aiming for a career in product management, keep on listening. So with that in mind, raise your hand. If you have questions, come up on the stage. Or if you're shy, go into the Slack group and ask questions there. So while we're waiting for folks to raise their hand and come up on stage, Jeff, I know there's the power question of mods asking questions to mods. And uh, as we see folks coming on stage, I see one hand raised already. Uh, looks like one already coming up. All
0: right. I'll let you bring Um, that person up and remind other people to come on up. And I just want to, again, give just one more shout out to Sarah Gallo, who is doing fantastic work, sharing some great notes from this excellent conversation. And this conversation is what happens when Women in Product and the University of Washington, the Product Management Center here at the University of Washington, when they get together, magic is happening. So I hope that we'll be able to do this again because these are two fantastic organizations and it's an honor to be working together. And now Red. We've got stage, so it's yours to manage. Rock
4: on. Well, it looks like we have our first person up on stage, Porvi. Hopefully, I'm saying that correctly. You know what? For someone who lost your old account, maybe share that story another time. i curious how that happened. Please, the stage is yours. What's your question?
5: Hey, yeah. So thanks. This was really awesome. And I love that there's so many women specifically in product on this stage. I talk to Simeo all the time. So uh, nice to meet you, Rekhan Pearl. My question is is a little bit transcending from personal change to professional life, so as leaders you know you go through changes in your personal life like motherhood or or any other change. How do you kind of bring that into the professional realm in the in the work you you're doing and manage it and then vice versa, if someone else is going through similar changes, how do you coach them to assimilate it with work and take it slowly and navigate those situations. It, did it make sense?
4: I do believe the question makes sense, but it's always a question of who, who wants to jump in and clarify <laughs> or ask. I, I think for this one, Parul, just given your experience, take a stab at it. And obviously, clarifying questions if the, it's not clear.
3: Yeah, Purvi, if you don't mind, would you mind just quickly summarizing and repeating the question for me again? I got yeah. really distracted.
5: No worries. So my question was more like, as leaders, you know, if someone is going through a personal change that inadvertently it reflects in professional life. So how do you sort of coach your teams to navigate change that's personal in nature, but eventually you would end up, you know, reflecting at work?
3: Yeah, thank you for that question. Uh, I paid attention this time and I actually... Went through something pretty recently, uh, which was very similar. I had a person on my team whose father passed away from COVID. And it was four, or five rough weeks before that happened. I learned about it a week into the person already going through this trauma. And uh, when they reached out, the only thing any leader can and should do in such a situation is a, support them and equip them with the time, the support, the space they need to be able to focus on what's important, depending on what that personal change is. The second thing is making sure that the rest of the team understands that there will be some change or some compromise or something that needs to happen as a result of this. And depending on what that personal nature is, it may be something that's okay to share. It may be something that's not okay to share, in which case, it's really about setting up a team culture where people feel safe in being vulnerable, being where they are and knowing that, you know, everyone on the team has got their back. So in this case, for several weeks, my teammate was out. The other teammate absolutely, unhesitantly picked up the load. We managed things, we spread it out. We had people from other disciplines chip in and say, I'll do this, even though I I don't know anything about this area, but I can help with this just because they understood and they needed it. So I think with personal change, The only way to do it is be human and uh, understand that as part of a good functioning team means that there will be times where not everybody can be present. There will be times where maybe the the key developer who needs this code out is going to be out and setting up processes and rhythms and expectations and a personal connection in advance so that when such a situation happens, it almost becomes second nature to jump in and deal with it as graceful a way as possible.
4: Well, that's, I think that's a very appropriate response. I am curious, though, and I want to kick this one over. And this is being recorded, so maybe as a disclaimer, be the devil's advocate here. But Sumea, what does the opposite of this look like? What is something that you should avoid if you see someone doing exact opposite of what Perul said is optimal? Like, Do you have experience seeing this in the wild or at least a red flag for how to avoid becoming that? Again, the opposite of that. Disclaimer, though, because this is being recorded, so you could say it's
1: (laughs) not your company. Um, It's an interesting question. Purvi always asks the nuanced questions. So I have a couple of thoughts here. (laughs) I think people who have been to my rooms in the past have heard me say that managing teams or caring for your team is not a scale game. You cannot scale caring or encouraging or nurturing or managing. Whatever whatever, whatever term you want to apply to a generative team, to a team where you want to build a healthy culture, it's not scalable in any way. You need to give each person the time they need, the flexibility they need within some guardrails. And so the opposite of that is trying to scale it to use a cookie cutter to treat everyone the exactly the same way in the name you know we've done that actually in the nineties in the name of equality <laughs> we we have created you know structures and systems that became not equitable and so even at a smaller level whether your team has two people or ten people that applies too. And so I think about that. And then the second thing I think about, especially for us product managers, imagine the cognitive dissonance you would have if on one hand you had to be extremely empathetic to your customer. Everyone says that, right? You have to be empathetic, but then you can't be empathetic to your own team. It just doesn't work. I think if you try to do that, you are going to fail in one or the other. It's just the cognitive dissonance level is too high. And so I would say use the, the same empathy skills that you have for your customers, for your employees. Everyone around you actually should benefit from that. And that makes you a more empathetic and a better human overall. So I know I'm not talking necessarily about what the opposite looks like with that point, but imagine a world that lacks empathy. No one succeeds there. Wow, that just sounds tragic. A world, a world without empathy. It, Where it is got it
0: pretty luck? dark, didn't it? That's, the, yeah. I think, the wow. darkest turn that how to succeed in product management <laughs> has ever taken.
4: Sumea, this is the darkest I have ever.
1: <laughs> you asked the negative question. I was, I, I was trying very hard. That's right. Shame
0: <laughs> on you, Red. You ask a dark question, you're going to get a dark answer.
1: <laughs>
4: a world without love. Well, while we're waiting for others who have. Very, again, thoughtful questions, Purvi. That was a really empathetic question. Please, the stage is absolutely open. While we're waiting for folks to raise their hands, Jeff, back to you. Oh, yes, Zumea, I see you jumping. I
1: I was going to say very quickly, so Purvi is extremely humble. She led the APM program at Salesforce, and she herself is a leader. So I'm curious about her point of view as well on this. So, Purvi, this is a moderator on moderator
4: question you are being focused on is what your thoughts are. So back to you. Mike is yours.
5: Okay. (laughs) So I think all of us have been in situations before, some very drastic, some uh, subtle. What I've been coached over the years and what I continue to coach to my teams is taking a break to think about the situation before acting on the change. And this might not be relevant for uh, the situations that Pearl was describing, which are much more grave. But if you're talking about smaller change, like I'll give an example. When I had my first kid, I wanted to come back to work in in two months and the company provided six months of leave. That was just me jumping back to work because I, I was in the middle of something. I had to launch something and nobody was asking me to do it. And I just didn't take the time to think what I was doing at this point and the outcome of it, because I was so in the process. So I think one of the things that helps is disassociation at that point and taking the time to think what your next step would be. That's number one. Number two is developing incredible patience that the outcomes are going to take longer and they're going to matter more with patience. So I think those are the two things that works. Although I'd say it's it's not a one size fit approach, right? Like the changes, the level of the skill is very different. So yeah, not a very articulate answer, but just patience and taking a break to think about what's going on, as opposed to jumping through the change and trying to drive an outcome, is what I go through with my teams.
4: I would say that was quite articulate and very empathetic. So. If anyone could even achieve close to that, this would be a world filled with love. The exact opposite of what Sumea warned if we didn't do that, V. So thank you for, honestly, a really thoughtful question and also a really good piece to the whole idea of woman in product. I am not someone who's in product, but to have you represent the thoughtfulness of the space from a product manager's perspective, that's what today's conversation is all about. So with that, I know we have some time left in the conversations, and Jeff... We have mod on mod on mod questions that I know we we want to get out there. I'm going to hand Mike back to you. It looks like we have no more questions from the crowd. So the stage is yours, my friend.
0: All right. And if anybody didn't get their question answered that you had, but you were afraid to come up on stage, uh, you could throw that into the Slack channel, the Product Management Center Slack channel. You could DM Red to get access to that. And we would be happy to read that out here. Before we get to our latest, giving the stage back to Red to manage, I do have a question for our moderators. And Porvi, I'd love it if you wanted to chime in as well. One question that came from Sarah Gallo on the Slack channel is, you know, how do you adapt to evolving, quote unquote, best practices, evolving uh, terminology. So the words that we use as product managers change the best practices that we argue for kind of change uh, the framework, specific frameworks, whether it's a PRFAQ or a V2 mom. So how much do you invest in learning the latest language and processes and how much do you invest in just getting your job done as a product manager? And I'm going to turn that to Rekha or Perul to take first.
2: Sure. I can start. I mean, Personally, I'm not a process person, so I don't, uh, I'll be honest. So there is, you do need some process, but I don't believe in process for the sake of like really doing elaborate management of processes. But I think, but alignment of common terminologies is super important, right? Otherwise- that's what leads to miscommunication. So I think to kind of taking it back to the question here, really, like you do want to make sure that you at least have a common FAQ questions, maybe right, like in the PR FAQ format, at least have some common understanding, clearly defined, so that everybody has an understanding of what exactly does this mean, right? Like so so that uh, the, the meaning is clear to everybody. So that I think is super important, especially for people that are coming into a new vertical space. It's, it's, it's good to get that context set. And then... I think it's really more of that right, but terminology perspective it again is relevant to what, what the product area is right if you're if you're new to the enterprise space, you definitely want to learn some of its um, techniques of how an enterprise products are being sold right how how are enterprise products being marketed and how do you get customer feedback in reality, there is always an often a product management framework that can fit everywhere right like there is a standard process that we all follow. In, when you launch a product so I think that framework is something that I think uh, everyone can use in, in any product type really but just shifting that a little bit based on what the audience target audience is is kind of what I would say.
3: I just want to run Rekha because she, Rekha and I have very similar attitudes and some of her approaches <laughs> uh, over the past conversations we've co- uncovered that but it's more about the outcomes for me personally and what is the best way to get to those outcomes and yeah. if that means some consistency in processes so we don't have big gaps where one team's uh, doing detailed BRDs with individual use cases with linked to Jira tickets linked up and the other team is just writing up a quick whip up one pager you know there starts to become a difference in how much thought and vetting out go into that so in terms of leveraging whatever framework it is so that there is consistency is more important than whether you're using Heart for your metrics or arm. It doesn't really matter. The goals are the same.
0: All right. Thank you both for that. And Red, it's the Olympic season. Here's your chance. This is the sprint. Can you get a gold medal by getting one, maybe two questions answered in a minute and a half or less? Red, do your thing. Jumping in.
4: All right. That was my sound effect for starting at the gates. I have someone on stage. Jenny, you like to play chess? Well, I challenge you to battle ship but battle questions. Uh, That's if you haven't seen her profile, she's really into this. So with that in mind, Jenny, what is your question for the state? I love that, Red. Thanks for the challenge and battleship there. Um, My question for the group was how do you recommend or what tips do you have for handling change fatigue? So the question is about change fatigue. What is the source of the change though? Just for clarity, if you can, Red, if you're you can violating,
0: address. you had one and a half minutes. You, you can't use clarifying questions. we oh. got to go change fatigue. Parula, <laughs> uh, any comments on change fatigue and how you deal with it?
3: If it's change fatigue, because it's the same kind of change, then there's something wrong with the process because exactly. if we, have, Yeah. I mean like right there, something is wrong. I mean, there will be change at all times. It could be someone left and it could be COVID happened. It could be that we changed the process and that's a different kind of fatigue. That's, That's life. But if it's change fatigue because we constantly get the same escalations from the execs about everything on a week-over-week basis, and we constantly revisit the roadmap, and we are constantly doing that, that means a broken process. That means reevaluating your goals. That means going back to whatever the source of the change is and setting up clear guidelines and guardrails for the team to say, here is what we will accept. Here is how we will accept it. This is our approach. These are our priority priority criteria. And basically have some kind of dam created so that it's not a constant flood to your team.
4: Just to clarify, I'm a big believer in losers have goals, winners have systems. So this is more about like organizational change. If you're going through crazy amounts of change, but I know there was no clarifying question. So my apologize for putting a clarification on.
0: Well, even if you had a different question in mind, I think that was interpreted, we got some valuable response out of there for the audience. And so I appreciate the question. And Red, I gave you a sprint. It turned into a relay as I stole it from you and took it across to the finish line. And we still did not beat the one and a half minute mark. Uh, so if you have some rapid takeaways, concluding thoughts that you want to leave the audience, I'll do Parul and then Sumea as we talked about adapting to change as a PF. I feel
3: like I gave my pitch line earlier in the conversation when I talk about having change be an arsenal, but general feedback is try to identify if you start seeing fatigue, try to identify what are the sources. Try to see if you can bucket the kinds of change in one group or another and see if there are some ways to deal with them in more of a structural way and if there is some kind of framework that can be put together to deal with at least the annoying kind of change, the one that can be totally handled. And if there is change where you're constantly adding risk to the product or project or whatever it is. Again, that falls into a certain category. So try to think about the different categories of change. Try to see what's in your control, what's not in your control. Yeah. Basically, the broad categories, so may had laid out in the beginning, uh, I thought were really good because they put those in those buckets. As I had said earlier, uh, look at change as an opportunity. Look at change as what can I learn from this? What can we learn from this? Yes, it's change. Yes, it might be annoying, but it might give us the opportunity to do something better. And something different. And then the most important thing is creating psychological safety for you and your teams to be able to handle that change in a way that doesn't burn everyone or frustrate everyone or lower morale, but is really understood as something that's for the greater growth. So, my buzzwords, growth mindset for today, (laughs) are, are still holding true.
0: All right. Thank you. That's Perul Shori, Director of Product at Compass and a Chapter Lead at the Women in Product Seattle. Thank you very much for the takeaways and for the insights throughout today's conversation on how to succeed in product management. Sumeya, do you have time to stick around to give your uh, bullet points, your takeaways? Yeah, absolutely. Go for it.
1: I want to add just one more point that we didn't get a chance to talk about, and that's resilience. So with change, there is a mental and, you know, the cognitive, again, and the psychological aspect and a toll on everyone in the team. And so what matters at the end of the day is you taking care of yourself as the PM and taking care of your team. And so how does that show up? It shows up in their resilience and their ability to continue going A couple of tips there. One, you as a PM have this one lever around urgency. Don't overuse it so that you can use it when you need it for real. I see a lot of people overuse the urgency thing. They think creating a sense of urgency all the time is important to, you know, velocity or to productivity, but it's exhausting. It's not healthy for anyone. And then the second tip is when it comes to the culture of learning, Learning how to handle change, you know, what is driving the change, why do we have to change, all of that is a ripe opportunity for learning. So don't let that opportunity escape. Some of the process pieces we talked about, we covered, are important. The basics, you know, around how to think about the different types of change, how to create a change management thinking but then also be adaptable and not create too much process that stops you from actually changing when you should. All of that is important, but the mindset is more so.
0: All right. Thank you, Samea. Sumaya is here every week on How to Succeed in Product Management, Tuesdays at 4 p.m. I want to turn it to our guest panelists, our other guest panelists today, Reka from the Women in Product here, adding great insights. Any concluding thoughts or takeaways you hope the audience leaves with?
2: Oh of course thank you Jeff. So in my mind like change is not about what you want to achieve but what you really want other people to achieve right and how do you help them drive to embrace the change. So there is a book that I really love there is a methodology for instilling behavioral changes by a switch how to change things when change is hard Dan Heath and Chip Heath talks a lot about a methodology a framework that they use for instilling changes. There is this concept of rider and an elephant in a path right so rider is basically the logical part of the brain. That That's the one that analyzes and solves problems. Whereas elephant is your emotions, right? That's a system that oftentimes powers impulsive reactions. So oftentimes, a lot of people have, there are different ways of looking at it. There is data-driven approaches, there is intuitive approaches, right? So we trust both, right? I mean, the end of the day, the rider can read the elephant or it can drag the elephant, right? If they ever disagree, and then the elephant is going to have the advantage, right? Because it is a big, big, big beast. So that's why you want to make sure that you want to make sure when you instill changes, you have the right set of directional guidance so that you can guide the audience in the right manner, right? So you you want to motivate the elephant by tapping into the emotions, whereas you on the on, and you give you want to give the right set of directions to the rider so that they can go to the destination. And finally, you want to pave them the path to get to the destination quickly and removing any type of obstacles. So kind of talked about the earlier framework, right? If you want to think about tying all those elements together in terms of the framework, like for a change try to figure out visualize what is this change right why are these changes what are the, what is there any alternatives what is the cost of not changing and then come up with a narrative like i said PRFAQ or whatnot and then finally tell a story and really make it glamorous and make it very data driven and make it super visible and high uh, right that's kind of how i would i would basically do it so yeah those are my final tips
0: All right, great tips and great magic that happens when the Product Management Center at the University of Washington teams up with Women in Product to deliver insights. This is all possible. Red's a little too humble for me to keep saying this every week, but it's all possible because Red one day as a founding advisory board on the Product Management Center said, Jeff, the Product Management Center is about building community and giving people a chance to connect with one another and with great ideas. And then Red also helped turn this into a podcast by getting Aptemptive, his employer, to help the conversion of this to a podcast and so red you not only deserve a lot of praise you deserve your moment in the sun to give concluding thoughts here
4: oh i was trying to slack you as someone who's not a woman in product i really don't want to say anything at this point so as to not take away from the incredible gems that were dropped this past hour so anyone else who's listening in podcast land just remove this from your memory i am nothing i am nothing i am so grateful sumaya Reka, and everyone else who have participated today Oh gosh, the community wouldn't exist without you. So what else is there to say? But thank you back to you, Jeff.
0: All right. And when I showered red with praise, What he did was connect us with Sumeya and Andrew in our very first ever episode of How to Succeed in Product Management, and it's been magic ever since. Sumeya, we couldn't be here without you delivering insight after insight, week after week after week, and so if you want to hear Sumeya and a, a set of other panelists next week, Tuesday at 4 p.m., we're back here, and I think we're going to talk about pricing, what a product manager does regarding pricing and how pricing if you're not in a product management role that has any influence over that how what the pricing people do uh, how does that affect your roadmap and how you think about the product so uh, we'll talk about that next week on how to succeed in product management tuesday at 4 p.m. and we're here every week so you could join us again in the future i want to conclude with you know both women in product and the Product Management Center at the University of Washington. We work together here today, and we worked together in the past because we both want to see a more diverse, inclusive, and skilled product management community. And the University of Washington is leveraging its interdisciplinary faculty, And just the amazing product managers we have right here in Seattle to not just help our own degree program students, but to help as many people as we can get into product management, succeed in product management, and find other people that could help them feel like they belong and support them along the way. So it's really about knowledge, community, and impact. And so if you want to help us develop a more diverse, inclusive, and skilled product management community, we're going to need all the help we can get. That could come in the form of mentors, uh, that could come in the form of speakers on this show, speakers in the classroom here at the University of Washington. We've got lots of opportunities to engage you individually, or if your company wants to get in front of people, we're working on a program called the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator, where we are trying to get 100 early career professionals from underrepresented communities their first PM job by June 2022. Uh, it's an ambitious goal, and we're hoping to work with companies that are great and inclusive of diverse talent and a great place to work. Companies that are empathetic, as Sumaya, we don't want to work with companies that are devoid of empathy <laughs> That that sad world that might exist. Take out that negative part. We're only going to stay positive. We want to work with companies who want to communicate inclusion as a company value and really connect with uh, diverse talent and give them a supportive structure to thrive in product management. So reach out to me on Twitter, on LinkedIn, by email, connect with me. But we would love to work with all of you here in this audience to develop a more diverse, inclusive, and skilled product management community. And we're so grateful for the opportunity to work today with the women in product. And I would expect more collaborations to come. So thank you all for being here. And I hope to see you or hear you next week on how to succeed in product management. All right. See everybody. Take care.